Hello everyone and welcome again to the latest edition of the Digital Killed the Radio Star. This is David. As usual, I'm here along with my friend co-host, my friend and co-host, Chris. Chris, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. And you? I'm well. Um, for the, those who don't know, Chris and I attended a uh, concert together over the weekend, the uh, Lucero Block Party in Memphis. And um, to me, more importantly, Sunvolt was the opening band. And Chris, I thought, uh, considering it was about 50 degrees and raining, and we were outside, I thought Sunvolt put on a great show. Yeah, they did. They sounded great. You know, I thought overall the set list was pretty good. I I, I was disappointed we didn't get any Uncle Tupelo songs just because I know they've been playing them on this tour. But I guess with a shortened set, I mean, you are playing as Sunvolt. I guess if anything's going to go, it's going to be Uncle Tupelo. But that'd be my, aside from the weather, that'd be my only gripe. We'd just be leaving out Uncle Tupelo. Well, I left uh, three or four songs in to uh, Lucero's set so that I could get on home. Chris, you stayed for the majority of it. How, how did that? How did they turn out? Uh, they were solid as always, man. They're just they're a consistent band. And and one thing I'd point out that that I enjoyed about the show is is a little bit more back to basics. Yeah, you know, um, you're gonna find some people they you know they, they did when they came out with um, oh, this is about three records ago. They came out with an album where they incorporated a horn section, and some people really like it. But you know, I don't hate it. But it's not, to me, it's just, I like that stripped-down sound that they have. And uh, supposedly the new record, it's going to be stripped-down, Return to Roots. They've gotten rid of the horn section, and that's the way they're playing now on tour. It's just stripped-down rock and roll band. And I like that. They sounded good. You know, and yeah, I bailed a little early, you know. Um, I did bail a little bit early, but it was just because, and I, I, I was just tired of being rained on for, what, three, four hours in 50-degree weather. I mean, considering the weather, I thought I've never been to one of those before. But considering the weather, I thought the turnout was was really was really good. It was a good turnout. I mean, granted, it, obviously, it's going to be a, it's normally a lot more because you know it seems the past couple. And I noticed Ben Nichols. Ben Nichols is a singer from Lucero. I did notice I said, you know he laughed about it, saying the rain. It's every year. I don't think it did rain last year though, and I think the year before it did rain, but it was guys probably two hours into their set. So I haven't been to one like that. Normally the weather's really nice, but normally, but yeah, I mean, they, they sound good. Normally it holds off until Memphis in May. Yeah. Yeah. I won't be there for this one. You know, we've talked about them being New York, but I would be, if you, if, if you're a betting man, go put some money down on rain because right. it's probably going to happen. Right, and we're you and I are both going to see the day after Memphis and May. You and I are both going to see Tom Petty, and thank goodness Tom Petty's going to be inside, so we don't have to worry about any residual rain. Yeah, no joke. And you know, the one thing that I will say that was good about the Lucero show is, even though it was raining, the one thing that made it a lot better than Music Fest is it was all on blacktop, so didn't have to worry about mud pits. Right, and it was not overcrowded. So no. uh, bathrooms were not a problem. Getting something to eat or drink wasn't a problem. Um, if, you, if you're if ever in the area when they're having that next year, uh, I suggest going. It was fun. I'm not a big Lucero fan, to be honest with you. I just know a few songs. But the overall vibe and, and setup was really cool. I, I really enjoyed it and had a good time. I stood out in the rain for three hours for a band I hardly know, but it was a good time. So if, if yeah. you're in the area, go see it. Yeah, they're they're. I mean, I'm sure you can tell. You just like you're talking about a good crowd. They're, yeah, they're they're a Memphis band, local band, but they're they are loved. And uh, you know, it's like I saw. You know, last time Social Distortion came through here, and I mentioned on our Social Distortion podcast that Lucero's open for them before, and I thought it was pretty cool. Mike Ness gave a shout out to to, to Lucero, and um, and he said, you know, he said, you guys are really lucky to have a band like Lucero in your town. And, uh, and I think, and, and I think they're right. He's so right about that because most any other band with a little bit of success in Memphis, Tennessee would probably be living in Nashville right now. And, you know, like I'm thinking of some, like Drew Holcomb right now, he's finally starting to get a little bit more notoriety guys from Memphis, but he's moved to Nashville. If you take uh, Kings of Leon, they're from basically a suburb of Memphis. They hadn't been in Memphis in, ye- in anywhere near the area area in years, so it's cool that that uh, Lucero stuck around. Well, Chris, we talked beforehand. Uh, you don't really have any new music to recommend this week, but I will tell you, I have been listening to someone all week in various incarnations, and that is Richie Cotson. 
And if you're not familiar with Richie Kotzen, do yourself a favor and just listen to his music. He's most famous really for, he took over for C.C. DeVille and Poison after C.C. DeVille was, was let go. But don't let that scare you off. That His other stuff is, is nothing like that. Although that Poison album, I really enjoy. He's probably one of the most diverse musicians that I've seen in a long time. I think when he was 19 or 20, he put out a couple of albums on Shrapnel Records, and they're just straight shred albums. Then he does the album with Poison. He had a cup of coffee with a, uh, Mr. Big, but his solo stuff ranges anywhere from hard rock to uh, soul, R&B, um, you name it. He can play anything. And on most of his solo albums, he plays every instrument. So if you get a chance, uh, look him up, Richie Kotzen, get his stuff with Poison. That was the Native Tongue album. And also his solo stuff and his stuff with the Winery Dogs is just really good. And there's a little something in there for everybody. Chris, I know you're you're pretty familiar with him. Real quick, your thoughts on him. Yeah, first of all, is his new album out yet? Yes, called Salting Earth. I've only listened to the first two songs, but I like them a lot. Yeah, okay, so what I mean, Sonny's not familiar with him. It's, it's hard to, to it's hard to put his albums in, in one distinct group because he does kind of, he kind of changes it up a little bit. He's um, a phenomenal guitarist. You know, I mean, obviously, like you said, recording the, recording the, all the instruments, he's a well-rounded musician, but, but guitar is where he excels at, and he's one of the better players out there, and vocally, sounds a lot like Chris Cornell. So he's and 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 two another thing is he's just very very prolific. I mean the guy's done what over twenty albums, twenty twenty two solo albums, not counting Mister Big Poison and Winery Dogs. And folks, this guy's not that old, forty seven. You know? Yeah, so I mean he he can he can basically put out an album every single year if he wants to, and you know most people just can't do that. You know, it's, it's, I mean, most people, it's going to take three or four years to put another album. That guy can put one out every single year and, and they'll be good. And, you know, there's, like I said, there's a lot of different, a lot of different albums to check out, a lot of different sounds. You said he's done some solo stuff, some instrumental stuff, which is true. The Winery Dog stuff is great. Um, you know, I, I'm looking, I think Into the Black, I know that was one I really liked a lot. And then one that was, when I talk about things are different, would be, an album I think would be a really good starting point for people. I don't know if you have this one, but it's called What Is. Yes, I have that and album. I really like that one. It's it's not just so straight up just rocking. You know, it's, I don't know. I, just, that's, that's a, I think that'd be a good one to start with for somebody that doesn't know his music. Yeah, it's a real shame that he's not a household name. It really is. Because, yeah. like, like you said, I've seen uh, Soundgarden in person, and I thought Chris Cornell did not sound great when I saw him live. Richie Cotton Live appears to be able to pull it off. Um, I know a lot of other people have said said that they have seen Soundgarden and thought they were great. Maybe I saw them on an off night, but Cornell's voice was just off. But Richie's is always right there. Well, Chris, this week, before we get started, we're going to mention follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, Instagram at Digital Killed the Radio Star, subscribe via iTunes. If you get a chance, leave us a review and rate us on iTunes. That would really help us a lot. This week is going to be a little walk in the park compared to the last few weeks. Chris and I both needed a little bit of a break this week as far as having to do a lot of research. The last two or three podcasts have really um, been very labor-intensive. So what we thought we would do this week, we would just talk about some of our favorite albums and this is not a top five list, a top ten list, or it's just albums that we both really like. We're going to talk about them a little bit. I do not have a single note. I just have six albums written down, and I will talk about them. And I kind of went through and tried to pick uh, an album, each album representing a different genre. And it's not necessarily my favorite in that genre, but it's just albums that I like. So, Chris, the, the last couple weeks have been tough on us. I think this one's going to be... Uh, pretty easy yeah i agree you know and i'm like you i don't i don't have a single note the only thing i do is i have these albums laying right in front of me and whereas you just said there's not a top five there's not a top 10 we don't know how many we're going to talk about uh, i've got probably 20 laid out in front of me i can assure you i'm not going to talk about all 20 of them 
but I think it's going to be a lot about as this conversation goes what I feel like talking about, and some of it is going to be what what I think we kind of take pride in doing. You know, it, it's going to be bringing up albums that you may have never heard of. Some of them you're going to definitely know. Some of them you're going to own, and you're probably going to love them too. But I'll probably name a few that you know. Not only do you not have the album, you may never even heard of the band, but stuff that I, I hope you'll check out. Right. I think we have a pretty good track record of suggesting music and people. I know I've gotten several messages from people say, hey, I've never heard of this band. I, I've listened to them because I heard them on your podcast. And hey, I think they're pretty good. So, Chris, I'm going to start things off. I'm going to mention an album by a band that I've just recently gotten into the last couple of weeks. This is not going to come as any surprise to you. I'm going to go with uh, the album Handwritten by Gaslight Anthem. Um, Chris had been on me for a couple of years to get into this band, and for whatever reason, things just never really clicked when I would listen to them. And finally, one afternoon, I put in the 59 Sound, which is the album, uh, their second album, and it just clicked. And I just really immersed myself in all things Gaslight Anthem and uh, Brian Fallon. 59 Sound is probably their most popular album, and it's really, really good. If Handwritten's my favorite album by theirs, 59 Sound would come in as 1A. The song that really I just go to every time I put it in is, I think it's track number 10. It's called May. And as we've talked about here on this podcast, Brian Fallon just has a knack for... Uh, channeling his emotion and you being able to pick it up through his music, uh, unlike most most artists. And the song May just really it just really gripped me, and I always listen to it when I have that on. Uh, other standout tracks are uh, Keepsake, uh, Biloxi Parish, uh, the song Forty Five. That was the single. Uh, reading about the album, I know that was the one that they thought was really going to take them to the next level and. To some, you know, to some degree it did, but it's a really good album. I think it's their most accessible if you were trying to get somebody into the band. Uh, after that, I would go with 59 Sound, but both of them, both those albums are really good. I know, Chris, you've told me in the past, I think you said that Handwritten was your second favorite Gaslight Anthem album. You know, I was about to tell you, I mean, first of all, I have, I have as, as these albums laying in front of me, I have the 59 Sound that I'm staring at right now. Huh. So, so yeah, that, that was one of the ones I was going to bring up so we could just knock, knock these out at one time. But as far as Handwritten being the second favorite, I've got to, I'm sure I have said that. Right now, what would I tell you? I don't know that I can pick the number two. You know, I know that they're just, they're, they're all, I, I like them all. I really do. You know, it's kind of like I was talking about social distortion last week. Whatever comes in last, I don't dislike. You know, in in this case, American Slang would come in last. I don't dislike that album at all. I think it's really good. Um, but but I think that I think that album's really good. Um, it's probably gonna make two or three for me. Um, the last one was probably I, I agree that maybe the most accessible or maybe the last one that they did. I thought that that one would be, and I thought they did have a little bit more, you know, start to get a little bit of success with Get Hurt. And um, when I say their last one, you know, we, for people who don't know about this band, they're on a, uh, they haven't said they've broken up, but they, they are on an indefinite hiatus. Um, don't think there was a, I don't, I've never heard of there being a whole lot of drama in the band. So hopefully they'll get back together, do something down the road. But, but yeah, I think that I think that album's great, and the Fifty Nine Sound, you know, that was the one that got me into the band. And I can look at that track listing, and there's not a song on it that I dislike. You know, the Fifty Nine Sound obviously is great, uh, great expectations. I've always been a huge fan of Here's Looking at You, Kid, which kind of fit a little bit into that kind of like May, you know, same same type thing. And it, and you're right. I mean, nobody. I don't know if anybody sells a song or sells a lyric better than Brian Fallon. Yeah, I love his voice vocally. He may not be the best out there. I mean, I think he's really good, but I don't think anybody emotes better than that guy. And um, excellent, excellent songwriter. If you're not familiar, I think I've said this before, take Springsteen, take The Clash, put it in a blender, maybe even sprinkle a little Tom Petty on it. It might come out something like this. And... Um, yeah, one thing that one thing I would 
is not about an, on an album, but the, as I'm looking at this, the song Casanova Baby, if you ever get a chance, go on the YouTube, just type in Brian Fallon, Casanova Baby. Look for the, it's an acoustic one where he's, sit, he's sitting in a van. It's in black and white. No better example of the emotion that that guy sings with. Yeah, it's, he is just, he's amazing. The whole band is. And uh, my favorite song, I think, on 59 Sound is Miles Davis and the Cool. It's a buddy of mine's favorite, too. I, I really like that song. They're, they're a great band. His solo stuff is good. We could probably throw his solo album in there at some point. It, it's really good. It's called Painkiller. Um, Chris, you were talking about uh, them. The, on Handwritten, do you feel like they tried to go in a little bit more of a pop direction than, than the other albums? Um. Yeah, I mean, possibly, but I, I even I even thought that American Slang was a decent amount different. You know, I, I felt like the um, your Sink or Swim, of course, was a raw album, which I think is incredible. But then Fifty Nine Sound, just kind of a little bit more mature, and I almost feel I guess what I'm saying is I almost feel like each album was a little bit of a progression that was that made it a almost each album almost almost you can almost make an argument that every album got a little bit more accessible yeah i I can definitely see that the last album get hurt the only knock i really have on it is it's 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 kind of a long album i think it's got 14 15 songs on it it is long which they probably could have trimmed one or two well chris we just took care of the gaslight anthem Uh, i know you mentioned 59 sound why don't you throw something else out there well because we're doing uh, one thing i do want to because because there's like you said, there's, this isn't a top 10, top 20. There's so many artists we could bring up. I, I want to, in addition to bringing up albums that I love, I want to do kind of like, like what you're doing, bring up some artists that people may not have heard of. And um, this is, you know, this will be the time for, for your wife to perk up her ears and hear me say it again, a criminally <laughs> underrated artist. Right. Um, Butch Walker. You know, it's he's... I mean, I say he's so underrated, but a lot of people know him now. I mean, if you got on his Twitter followers, I think he has about, you know, probably you know, close to a million people, which is crazy because the guy probably only sells about 10,000 albums each time he releases one. But I think there's just so many people know about him now just because, if nothing else, some of their favorite artists are retweeting him. You know, he, the guy is, you talk about just being an amazing talent. This guy also has done albums where he's, you know, Wrote every song, recorded every instrument, produced, mixed everything. He has co—he's been the co-wrote, co-written—he's covering so many songs, like hit songs, songs that are on the radio. Artists ranging from Pink to Fallout Boy, and this is not a shout out to Fallout Boy, not for me, but still, it just shows you the guy does the poppy type stuff. And um, but he—but then he's a, been a major, highly sought out after producer. Anyway, his music is why I love him. Not because of stuff he writes for other people. Not because of his production skills. It's his music. Um, this album that I'm bringing up is it's called Sycamore Meadows, and I think it's his best one. And it's a really, it's probably a pretty tough record for him because uh, at the time he was living in Flea's house in somewhere out in L.A. and his house caught fire. And basically everything burned down and he lost almost everything. I mean, I, I, he even, I've even heard him talk about where he, he sent, um, he sent a friend of his to go at least try to recover some guitars, some vintage guitars that he wanted. And he, he couldn't, he couldn't even do it. It was cause it was that bad off. And the album, a lot of that is in this album, just what he was going through. And my favorite song on there is a song called going back, going home. And when you hear him talk about it, he said he was about to fly home. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going home. And then he thought, wait a minute, I don't have a home. And so I'm just, I'm going back. I'm going back to L.A. And that's, he wrote the song, and that song basically tells his life story. Um, amazing, amazing songwriter. You know, this is, whereas I said Brian Fallon, you know, maybe he's not the most vocally gifted, which I think he's got a great voice myself. Butch Walker, not only to be, not only just being a great musician, great songwriter, witty lyrics, everything. I think he's got an amazing voice. I just, I love his voice. I love pretty much every record this guy puts out. If you're gonna, if you want to try him out, and you're gonna start with anything, 
try Sycamore, Sycamore Meadows. And, and one final thing I'll say is I saw him getting interviewed one time, and somebody said, made the comment to him about how, you know, you're about being a pop, almost like a pop artist. And he said, well, I guess in the way that you would call Tom Petty pop. And I thought that was a great way to say it because Tom Petty's not a hard rock act. And he's just a rock guy that has songs that are poppy enough and catchy enough to make the radio. And I think that I thought that was a good way to describe himself. He's like, yeah, I mean, if you consider Tom Petty pop. So anyway. Right. Much in the same way as I think it was last week or the week before we talked about the widespread appeal that um, Mastodon has as far as, you know, people listening to Mastodon that wouldn't normally listen to a heavy metal album. There are so many people that are either friends with him or he's written for or respect his music that are musicians from all walks of life. Yeah. It's very, it's very impressive. Like you said, he has written for, uh, you know, a lot of pop stuff. I think one of Tommy Lee's solo albums, he pretty much did everything. He did a lot of stuff yeah. on. Um, he did. And, and there was actually one decent song that I, I remember that was a single. And what made it good, no, no offense to Tommy Lee, but what made it good was Butch's his background vocals. Yeah, he was sing, Butch was pretty much singing the, the chorus, I think. Was yeah. It, was it Good Times? Was that the name of the song? Yeah, yeah, it was. And he, by the way, he produced the last Brian Fallon album, Gaslight Anthem, the guy we were just talking about. He produced the last album, and I know he does he does vocals, some background vocals on that album. And, and you're right, everybody just seems to love this guy. And it, so I think it's, I mean, and I have met him before, and I think it's probably not only is he just a, a very, very skilled musician and songwriter, I think he's just a really likable guy, too. And I think they just all really like him. And um, just me, even like you talk about the diversity of people he's worked with, you know, he being one of the most sought after producers that there is, and yet he had his buddy Ron Adams produce his album before last. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that's Tommy Lee to Ron Adams to, you know, um, Pink, Pink, Avril Lavigne. Yeah, that should just tell you. I mean, he's he's very accessible. I have, I think I have most of the songs on his last album. Uh, was it Stay Gold? Is the name of it? I think. Yeah, which honestly is one of his best albums. I mean, I, I um, I've, now that I've had that one for long enough to, to where it's not the newness is worn off of it, I I'd probably put that maybe even number two. But I, I'd probably make probably make my top three. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with Butch Walker, go and listen to his stuff. I think most people will will enjoy it. It's like you and said. State Gold may be the most accessible, actually, now that I think about it. You know, even though this may be my favorite, State Gold would be a great one to start with. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, the next album we're going to talk about, Scott Dreiss on Facebook suggested this one. I probably would have mentioned this one on my own if he had not suggested it. It's the second album by Skid Row, Slave to the Grind. If you hear Skid Row, most people are, re- are immediately going to think um, 18 to Life and I Remember You, songs off their first album, which is admittedly um, would probably fall into the hair metal or glam metal category. Slave to the Grind is not hair metal at all. It's a straight up metal album and it holds the distinction of being the first heavy metal album in the SoundScan era to debut at number one. This album is so good, top to bottom. The production value is great. The playing by everybody involved is great. Um, it has a couple of really good ballads on it that are not, um, they're not your typical ballads from that um, time frame. I'm thinking about in, in a darkened room and wasted time. Both of those deal with some pretty heavy subject matter. The song Monkey Business, I think, was the lead single, but some other good ones on there are The Threat, um, the song Slave to the Grind, Living on a Chain Gang, just really good, straight-up metal um, songs. And the interesting thing is, you would think at the time that this came out, it was almost been in their better interest to continue with the, um, the direction of the solo, of the debut album, but they just said the heck with it, and he's, you know, I think Snake and uh and Scotty Hill and those guys were just like, we want to be a metal band, and they did not disappoint. It's an album that still holds up very well today. I know, Chris, I, I'm pretty sure I've heard you say you're a big fan of it as well. Yeah, and you know, we'll we'll do a uh, at some point we'll we'll do a show where we just talk about hair bands, glam, whatever you want to call them. 
And you know, spoiler alert, alert that'll that'll make if we that'll probably make my list as far as one of my favorite ones. And um, but you're right. I mean, just because I'm going to put it in that category, and it it's going to. I mean, it it has to, it has to go in that category. That's just where it belongs. I mean, even even like Guns and Roses. Now, Guns and Roses can go as Appetite can go as one of the great rock records, but you can always throw it. You can you can throw it in that glam type section as well. But this album, you're right. It's it's uh it's heavy. The, the ballads are they're very dark um and i do I, I, even that song you know wasted time it's it's a great one it's dark it it's not like what you were getting on um i remember you no knock against i remember you i mean that's probably my favorite you know hairband ballad of all time but they just they completely changed things up and you know they, this was when they this is when they were touring with pantera you know, when they when they put this album out, they brought Pantera out on the road, and Pantera had vulgar display of power. So, to show you something about the direction they were wanting to go in. Yeah, and sadly, uh, after this album, they recorded another album, which I think is actually pretty good. But they split ways with Sebastian Bach, and success has eluded them ever since. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where, you know, they, they can't. I've, I've never, I mean, there, I'm sure there's a story there that we don't know about. They're just not telling. I mean, there has to be because how you can't eventually, if for no other reason, go out for a money grab, you know, because here's the thing. They, I know they're not going to have quite the impact and not even close to the impact that Guns N' Roses did, but they would, they would have probably their best year financially since, you know, probably early to mid nineties if they did that. If they went out on a tour, um, I mean, it's like how that, the, the animosity was in Guns N' Roses, and they got back. Yes, Faith No More was known. It's it's widely known that those guys pretty much all hated each other's guts, and they still got back together and put out an incredible record, and you know, still doing stuff. So I, I wish those guys whatever whatever happened. I wish they'd put it aside. Just put Sebastian in his own bus if they have to, and you know. Bring him out of his cage when it's showtime. Well, Chris, what else do you have? Well, I, I I gotta at least mention one album by one of our favorite bands that we'll probably spend a lot more time on. We don't have to we don't have to dwell on this one. I just I did want to bring up the um, REM album. It's the third album, Life's Rich Pageant. It's a uh, it's my favorite one. I believe you've said it's your favorite. And I was just talking to. Um, our mutual friend Shannon the other day who came in for that Sunvolt show and he's always he's always had I know you know Murmur's always been up there and all but he's basically he basically said to me the other night that this may be their best album and that kind of surprised me that he said that um, not because the, the songs don't warrant that it's just he's never really has gone that way but I think over time he's just kind of decided that it's um as far as this was before, obviously well before they hit major success. You know, they were a college radio band because they didn't really hit success until Document, which would be two albums later, and um, I guess about five al- albums later they hit superstardom level. But this one, even though it wasn't a huge, a huge album, it does still have you know at least a song that most people would know, and that being "Fall on Me," and a lot of them would probably know uh, Superband as well. But uh, I just love this album. It's most all their catalog is great, but this is this is my favorite one. Yeah, if I'm going to listen to one of the pre-document albums, this is my favorite one to listen to. My favorite song on there is "Begin to Begin." I think that's one of the greatest opening songs on any album that you're going to hear. And yeah, this album right. this album has a little bit of a little bit of everything for you. And the fables is what came after this one, right? Yes. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan um, of it, but I'm a big fan of Life's Rich Pageant. If you were not going, if you had never listened to REM, it would be one of the ones I would suggest for you to, you know, taking for a spin around the block before you got anything else. Because if you don't like it, or, I don't know, maybe Out of Time and New Adventures in Hi Fi, you probably aren't going to like any of their other stuff. But it, it's, yeah, a, I mean, it's, a, it's, really, it's really solid. Yeah, I would say if you wanted to, if you wanted to try something out that was not, you know, that was like you said, pre out of time before they got too big, and you haven't really heard, maybe you've, maybe you've just you've heard 
as far as the older stuff, you've heard the one I love and End of the World as we know it. Well, this will be stepping a couple albums forward, and and it is it's just it's solid. I mean, I like every single song on it. You're right, begin them again. I always just loved Cuyahoga. Um, Flat the Flowers of Guatemala is one of my favorites on here as well. Just top to bottom, excellent, excellent record. The next one we're going to talk about is an out song, an album that I mentioned on our first podcast as being one of the albums that got me into music, and that's going to be Purple Rain by Prince. It came out, in, I think, 83 or 84. And of course, uh, When Doves Cry, Let's Go Crazy, and Purple Rain are the three big hits off of that album. And you can argue those are three of the biggest hits of, in the entire decade. One of the things I like about this album is it's... Those three songs are very much guitar, um, guitar-driven songs. Prince is just a fun, he can play anything. Let's just be honest. Just a fun, one of the one of the greatest musicians we've ever had. This album and the one before, which was I think was 1999, um, they were more rock albums than some of the stuff he d- d- would do after this one. But the song "Purple Rain" may be my favorite song of all time. And I really, I was very, very young when this came out, and I got the album, I think maybe for Christmas, or is the cassette, and just listened to it a lot. There are a couple of songs on there that haven't aged well, that's for sure, but they're going to re-release it this summer for the first time. It's going to be remastered, and they're going to add some songs to it that he never released that I think are going to be pretty, uh, pretty much guitar-heavy songs from what I've heard so it's an album if you're a child of the grew up at all in the 80s it's one you definitely should own from the 80s sadly prince isn't with us anymore so we won't get anything else but if you ask me purple rain was his crowning achievement yeah and i'm i mean i i i do like prince i'm definitely more of a hits guy than an album guy of his um which is you know probably most of the casual prince fans but you're right. I mean, as far as musicianship, he's one of the best ever. I mean, the guy was he could he could play around 30 instruments, I believe. He you know he recorded a lot of his you know, most of his own albums. Um, and I think it seems like until he did that, you know, I would say what seems what he always keep especially once he passed. What everybody kept talking about was that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance where he played that solo. Um, what was the song they were playing? Was that well, a George well, Harrison? Song? Well, my guitar, Jim yeah, Reed. yeah. So. I think that's when a season has gotten noticed for his guitar skills. But the guy was, I guess it was because of the style of music that he played that he never really seemed to get the credit he deserved as a player. But you're right. I mean, he could have definitely focused on that style and gone with a more of a rock style and probably one of, one of the great guitarists. But but yeah, I mean, even though, like I said, I, I'm usually going to go hits type stuff. I mean, I know Purple Rain is it's one of the classic legendary albums. Yeah, you're talking about that clip. It's pretty pretty impressive when he's on stage with Tom Petty, Steve Winwood, Jeff Lynne, um, G.E. Smith, and I forget who else is also on the stage. And you completely forget that there are you know, three or four other Hall of Fame musicians on the stage during that solo. One right. Of, one, one, of the coolest, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So... Uh, Chris, I went with a 1980s classic, Prince Purple Rain. What is your next album? Well, I want to mention, just because I'm going to keep trying to promote this band, um, it's, uh, the band I'm talking about is the Afghan Wigs, and I know I've already talked on a couple of podcasts about their just brilliant, brilliant album, Gentlemen. Well, the album that came out after that is called Black Love, and you know, sometimes I almost still kind of struggle to put to pick which one I like better. Ultimately, I always pretty much go with Gentleman. But Black Love is phenomenal, and it's it's another. This is another band that a lot of you know. I mean, I've heard you say this before. Musicians band. A lot of people really like this band. I know that uh, when they released the, they they just recently did a 20th anniversary of Black Love. And I remember Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem tweeting saying that Black Love was his favorite album of theirs. And a lot of people feel that way. And a lot of people are probably like me. They just 
halfway can't ever make up their mind because I've talked to other people like that. You know, they just, um, I know you, you, you saw, you saw my buddy Matt the other night, the one that was at Van Halen that time. He's, he's that way. I've asked him before because he's a big fan of them. Which one do you like better? Gentleman, black love. And he's like, man, I can go either way. It just depends on what day you ask me. And that's the way this is. They, they had a little bit of success off the gentleman, a couple of singles. This one, Black Love did absolutely nothing, but I mean, just if, if you want to check out a band, uh, just a great, great band, um, check them out. They do have a new one coming out in about a month. I, believe, I think it actually comes out in May, but they do have a new one coming out. They they put out their first one a couple of years ago. Their first one in about sixteen years, and it was they they didn't let they didn't let the fans down. It was good, and this one just check it out it's another one of those ones i could tell you what songs to listen to but i'd actually just say press play and don't stop until it's over because every song is great yeah and like what you were saying they're one of those bands you can look at uh, a wide array of musicians and they're going to list afghan wigs as one of their favorite bands so when to me when you see stuff like that people from different genres that probably don't have a lot in common saying that that's usually, and this is people that know what they're talking about. That's usually a pretty good, a pretty good guess that, that they're a good band. Yeah. Yeah. And they, you're right. There are, there are so many people that, that do love this guy, this or this band. And Greg Dooley is just, I think a great songwriter, um, great lyricist. And, you know, they didn't, it's not like they didn't have any success, but they, they, they probably should have had more. And, um, yeah, do yourself a favor. Check them out. I would say check, start, like I said, new album coming out, I believe, in May. But start with Gentlemen or Black Love, you know, one of the two of them. And, actually, the the new one, if you, if you get the uh, – and they've both done – they've done uh, these repackaged anniversary editions for each album. They just did the 20th for this one a few years ago. For Gentlemen, they did a 21-year anniversary. I mean, obviously, Gentlemen, 21. But um, – this new one for Black Love, this this repackage, remastered, you know, double disc. They have uh, on the outtakes and you know, B sides. They have a very cool cover of uh, a classic song by New Order called Regret. It was later New Order, I believe, probably mid '90s when that song came out. But it's really, really stripped down on a piano, and I just think they did a beautiful job with it. So, what do you have next? Well, the next one I have is one that. If you're a music fan, you have in your collection Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Probably, you know, yep. one of the most iconic albums of all time. I believe it was on the top 200 charts for like 770 weeks. And that's never happening again. Um, my favorite thing about the album really is just how all the songs flow together. Go from one song to the other. The transition is, is, is very smooth. This album, you know, deals with insanity and, and mental illness and then greed and is truly one of the albums that I think even people that are casual music fans will say they put on and they listen to every song on the album and not just, I guess the hit, if you want to call it off of it, was Money, which in my opinion is the worst song on the album. But th- I can't say anything about this album that hasn't already been said. If you don't own it, why I jar you're not listening to this podcast, but one of the most iconic albums from one of my favorite bands, Pink Floyd. I'm sure there's going to be an episode where I'm going to go in deeper into Pink Floyd, but Chris, I, I picked it as one of my favorite album covers as well. I know you're not just a huge Pink Floyd fan. I know you respect them. I'm, I'm feel fairly confident saying that you own this album. I absolutely own this one. I, and I own, and I've told you before that I do like them. They're not one of my favorites, but I do like them. And I, and I probably, I don't know how many of theirs I have, but I would say at least at least six or seven. Uh, so I do have a lot of them. Um, and yeah, I do love I do love this album. I think it's I think it's a really good album. It's uh, obviously so different. It's uh, I don't think anything was really being recorded like that, and for the most part, not really being recorded like that now. And yeah, it's, it's 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 funny though the things that that, you, that stand out in your mind about the albums. I, I don't think this will surprise you too much, but for me, what always stands out in mind is the Wizard of Oz. Right. And I know that's not what I know that's not what this album is about. It's about respecting the music that's on that album, but that is pretty cool because it does actually kind of fit. At least on the first 
least on the first spin of the album, it kind of fits. But, but no, I do like it. I do like it a lot. And uh, it's probably, of the stuff that I have of theirs, probably, you know, if it's if it's not my favorite, I mean, it, it's right up there. You know, I've always loved Animals, but, but then again, it's almost frustrating to pick an album that only has, what, five, six songs on it, and two of them are virtually the same. Yeah, two of them are um, under two minutes, maybe even under a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Dark Side but, of the Moon. It, it, everybody should own it if they're a music fan. It's it's just it's just great. That's all you can say. I would agree with that. I, I would agree. I mean, it, there's a few albums that you have to that you have to own. That would be one of them. You know, you start talking about you know, like Sgt. Pepper's would be one. You know, those are just to an extent. You got to say Led Zeppelin Four. Definitely not the best album, but probably should have it in your you know, lot, have in your collection. Since you mentioned Sgt. Pepper's, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Pink Floyd's first album was, um, man, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And it, yes. it sounds nothing like Dark Side of the Moon. And word on the street is they were recording this album at the same time that the Beatles were recording Sgt. Pepper's at the same studio. And a lot of people think that George and Paul and Ringo and those guys went down to... Uh, hear Pink Floyd record some of their songs and took some of what they were doing and put it on Sgt. Pepper's. Have you have you heard that? I haven't, but you know I would say that's a very the story is very easy to believe just because of the sounds that came off of Sgt. Pepper's. Right. Yeah, you know, that is that's very, and it's not. I mean, the Beatles they didn't trust me. The Beatles didn't need to rip anybody off. No. But but they were influenced by others. You know, just like how. I mean, that I mean, basically, Pet Sounds influenced them, you know, hugely. And so, I mean, every, it's, it's just inevitable. I mean, you put yourself around something creative long enough, and you're probably going to pick up on something. That's probably, I'm sure, that may be very well what happened. Well, Chris, enough about Dark Side of the Moon. What, what else would you like to talk about? What's the next album? You know, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking over stuff. Um, you know, one that I... I that I'm going to bring up that I don't know if I've ever really even talked to you about this one and you might not would really like it, but I, but maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't, but I, I said, I wanted to keep introducing new music as well. And this is something that I got. It, it's probably, it's aside from the gaslight anthem, it's probably going to be the newest album or one of the newest I bring up that, that fits into my classics that I, I really probably would put this in my top 20 albums ever made. It's a band. It's a band called Titus Andronicus. And um, named after you know, a Shakespeare play, and they're a band out of Jersey, and so naturally you're going to hear like some elements of Springsteen and all that, but it's not Springsteen, that's for sure. There's there's some tie-ins where it sounds like they were influenced. I even mentioned them, I think, twice on this album. It's called The Monitor. The Monitor is supposedly a concept album about the Civil War, and The Monitor was a ship in Civil War times, and so on the cover it's got you know, an old real picture of civil war times. And I think it's the actual ship. The monitor is behind them. Um, it's different. It's different than the most things you're going to hear. I've tried to explain this album to people before. And, and, you know, I already talked to you about gaslight trying to say what they sound like a mixture and all that. I like doing that a lot of times for bands and I'm probably royally messing it up and nowhere near where they sound half the time, but I'm gonna do my best with this band. I would say take some elements of Springsteen, even some elements of the Gaslight Anthem because of that punkish type sound they have. And then you can take, I take somebody like, like Bright Eyes or, you know, maybe even Neutral Milk Hotel for that matter. Just some of the, the instrumentation that's in it. Um, it's a little bit different. Definitely a lot of punk elements in this album. Um, as you're listening to it, even though you may not know half of what he's talking about, it sounds like you're hearing a story, some important stuff, concept album. Um, a lot of long songs on it. Not off, I'm talking about like 10 or 11 minute songs, though there is one that's you know well over that, the last song. It's got a lot of like six, seven minute songs. Um, just If you're looking for something new to listen to, I would say give it a chance. You may love it, you may hate it, but again, kind of like a... Kind of like a, a Gaslight, Springsteen, Bright Eyes mixture. Well, this is the first podcast that we've done. You've brought up somebody I've never heard of them. I have uh, to do it at some point. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> normally I have something to say, but I just, 
I don't have anything to say. I've never even. I, I, I don't ne- expect you to. I, I don't. I know you don't have anything on that one. And I, I knew this wasn't about. Hey, we had to be able to share and have stories on this one. So I'm not going to turn this to you and be like, Hey, what are your thoughts? I would just say to you what I'm saying to everybody. Maybe try it out. Like I said, it, it's it's different, but um, I just think it is an incredible album. And I think they're just one of the. I think they're one of the better newer bands out there. Well, and like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep trying to bring out some new music, and there's one of them for tonight. Well, I will. You have a pretty good track record most of the time with suggesting things. The album I'm gonna talk about now is uh, definitely not an unknown album. It's the second album by Alice in Chains. It's called Dirt. This album to me is one of the more disturbing albums that that I have in my collection. Uh, really got hooked on this album in high school. And for the better part, probably of a year, it was always in my, I guess, my CD changer or whatever you wanted to call it that you had in your car back in those days. The reason it's disturbing is this this album is pretty much, with exception of a few songs, is pretty much about drug drug abuse, particularly heroin. And if you think about how Lane Staley's life turned out, that's one of the reasons I don't listen to it all that much anymore. It's just depressing. It's a very, very dark album. And, you know, all of those guys, I think, at one point or another, had uh, substance abuse issues. Mike Starr, who played on it, he has OD'd and died. Lane Staley, of course, is dead. But the album just is really good from start to finish. The, especially the first five or six songs are so strong. The song Wood, most people know it from the single soundtrack, but that, that is on there. Uh, to me, the most disturbing song may be Junkhead. Uh, he's basically describing his life as a drug addict. And I read where Jerry Cantrell said that that may be one of the most honest songs that's ever been written. And this one is, this album just does not disappoint, but it, it can get you down if you really listen to the lyrics. And especially if you think about how uh, things played out after this album came out. If I had to list a top five, this album would for sure be in my top five. But I will throw it to you, Chris. Get your thoughts on Dirt. I know it's an album you're familiar with. Yeah, first of all, the songs on it for me um, definitely would. But to me, probably my favorite one on there is Angry Chair. Um, I I, uh, I love that, I, and I love a lot of those songs on it. And I, and I don't know if you've gotten a chance to if you've made it there yet. If you're if you if you're still keeping up with it, or if you've stalled on that book that I recommended about the Seattle grunge rock. I'm to uh, I'm to Screaming Trees and Green River, so I'm not to the Alice and Change yet. Well, they'll talk a lot about it with this album, and um, and it is it is sad because Lane Staley was one of those guys which I think is probably pretty common with a lot of junkies. Certainly not all of them, but a lot of them they don't want to be a junkie. It's the last thing they want, and they try to get better. And you read this book, and you'll you'll learn Lane did try. And he really wanted to be better, but he just couldn't get there. And um, I want to say it's uh, guy. What's the dr- Sean Kenny? Is that it? The drummer? Yeah. I want to say he's the one on there that says that basically that album. And I may be wrong. You'll, you'll probably read that book and go, "Oh yeah, you totally screwed this up." But I want to say it was Sean Kenny that basically said he he can't really even listen to the album just because of what was going on and knowing that story and how it all played out. Oh, I I, um, I I can completely can see that. I mean, the lyrics are just disturbing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was definitely a, a, a guy that was, you know. And that's the thing where we're talking about. He didn't want to be. I don't know that you write that album like if you're loving it and thinking, oh wow, heroin's great. I mean, he he had his struggles and he knew it, and I think he wanted out of it, and um, I think you just get a lot of his pain on that album. Yeah, to me, he and Kentrell, just the way their voices blended together is just unlike anything I've heard uh, before then, and they definitely, you know, haven't heard anything like it since. But it was a, it was a huge album for them, and unfortunately, things just went downhill after that. Well, Chris, I hope your next selection is a little more uh, upbeat or uplifting than than that was. My God, I'm I'm feeling like right now I'm looking at what I was about to talk about next. It's like okay. Um, where's the happy one? Let me find a happy one. Because <laughs> this one is not really happy. It's not like that, but it's not quite a happy album. Um, 
I can't really talk about favorite albums and not bring up an album by one of my favorites, which is Bruce Springsteen. And everybody knows Born to Run, which is definitely one of his best. Everybody knows Born in the USA. Um, there's a lot of albums you could talk about. But I'm going to go with the one that came after Born to Run, which is Darkness on the Edge of Town. And um, this album has... There was a lot going on. It took a, you know, albums back then, people forget, you know, they don't, it's not like today where a lot of times it's two, three years before an album comes out. You know, Springsteen put out his first two albums in one year. And um, this one, he was fighting basically his management um, because he signed a really bad record deal like so many starving artists do. And he was trying to get the rights of his songs. And it took a long time before he finally got to put this album out because of stuff that was going on. And this album is um, kind of like the definitive Springsteen album for what he, what he is lyrically. You know, he, you know, now it's become, and his music has always had a political edge to him, but, but it seemed like back then it was more just, it wasn't so much, and I know it is politics, but it was more, it was more Woody Guthrie. Like, you know, it was more just, um, and even, like a lot of what Sunvolt does these days. It was about hard times and often hard times a flyover country, middle America and um, the hard workers and just the blue collar America. And, um, and he actually talks about that a lot in his book about how it's kind of weird being somebody became a, you know, such a huge success and millionaire and he's still writing and he writes songs like this, but he does talk about just the upbringing he had. And he always he's always really close to that community. And this album is not going to have if you're not really a big Springsteen fan, you might not know. You might not know any of the songs on this. Uh, they're really really well known Springsteen songs. Like for example, "Prove It All Night," the song "Darkness on the Edge of Town," "Badlands," "The Promised Land." They're all very well known Springsteen songs, but you're not going to turn on the radio and hear any of those songs. So commercially, it wasn't huge. Not a lot of huge. This definitely wasn't his biggest album, not his biggest hits, but probably some of the most loved songs by Springsteen fans out there. Um, I, it, he's he's kind of like some of these other artists we name where you go back and forth. I'll probably go back and forth between this one, Dark, uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town, Born to Run and the River. Um, you know, tomorrow might be a different day, but today I'm going Darkness on the Edge of Town. It's my favorite Springsteen record. Chronologically, where does this one fall? Number four. So it would have yeah, released in '78. So the next one would have been the River, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm familiar with the album. I I don't really have, like I said, I don't. You know, I've really tried to get into Springsteen but for whatever reason um, just doesn't work but I, I do read a lot of stuff about him and I know the songs in that album uh, the fans really enjoy when they play them I know you said Badlands is that's one that gets played a lot correctly am I correct yeah yeah it is it's um and it's it's actually one of the better ones live you know it's uh really really good crowd participation in that one you know it's probably it's probably the 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 song itself is probably four or five minutes, but live, yeah, I think it's about four minutes. Live, it probably goes about seven minutes, just because of the crowd participation and on. Crazy thing is, even though it's one of his more you know one of the fan favorites here live, it usually comes pretty early in his set when he does play it. But uh, a lot of these songs he plays live. I mean, you he honestly plays pretty much all of these songs i mean we were talking about this the other day how you go see a show of his and you're if you go see him five nights in a row you're not going to hear anything close to the same set on any one of those nights but this one is definitely probably one of the more probably get some the songs on this probably get chosen more than about any of his albums would you recommend it to someone as an album to try to get them into bruce that's a really good question and i'm not sure you know, in some ways, I think the river might have, may have some of the more accessible songs, but it's you know what you always talk about. It is a double album, and so it's and you know, there might be some that songs on there that don't stand out as much as others. Um, 
know, I would probably, if I'm talking old Springsteen albums, classic albums, I would, I would probably say that. I'd say Darkness or Born to Run would be a good starting point. But you know, Darkness on the Edge of Town, you know, that could be an album though that a lot of times, I mean, you take, and I know they don't sound exactly the same. There's nowhere, it's nowhere near it. But you take an album like um, Ron Adams just putting out The Prisoner. You know, it's. I don't think it's. I mean, it's. Yeah, there's several de- decades apart, but I don't know that it's that far apart with you know the type of songwriters that they are. Hmm, interesting. I may have to uh, go dig that one up and uh, listen to it some more, especially with the Ryan Adams comparison. Well, I mean, and like I said, it doesn't sound like Ryan Adams, but it's just one of those ones. I, and I brought up the Prisoner just because you know Prisoner is um, it's it's not a real happy album. A lot of slower songs on it. That's the way this is. You know, slower songs. Um, Serious content. You know, it's just, it's not a breakup record like Prisoner, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I would check that one out. I think it'd be a good starting point, though, to answer your question. Well, the, my final album that I have scribbled down here to talk about is the album Z by the band My Morning Jacket. This one came out, oh man, maybe 2005 or so. Uh, I think I have that right. Uh, I'm a big My Morning Jacket fan, and they, I don't know if it's fair or not, get kind of lumped in sometimes with the jam band scene, and they're not really a jam band if you've seen them in concert. I mean, they may drag one or two songs out a little bit, but they're not really a jam band. The neat thing about them, and also the bad thing about them, is they don't put out two albums in a row that sound the same. And this album came out after It Still Moves, and excuse me, It Still Moves is a uh, just a good rock record. And Z has a little bit different sounds on it. Um, some drum loops and, and things of that nature. And the instrumentation is different from the first album. But it's an album that I can put on and listen to all the way through. Some of the highlights are Wordless Chorus, Anytime, Not Comes Loose, um, It Beats For You. But it's an album that made them... Um, have a lot more notoriety and everything that's come out after this album in my opinion has been uh, less consistent than this one I think this is their best album it's good all the way through Um, if you like it I would definitely uh, start looking at other albums in the catalog but not not really a bad song on there and uh, an album that I listen to quite frequently all the way through is this the one that has off the record on it? It is. Yeah. Okay. So I own it, and I and I mean I know if I say, well, okay, I don't can't even think of the names of the songs, so it's going to sound like I don't like it. That's not. I don't think that would really be fair. It's just one that didn't. You know, it'd be like it'd be like a Springsteen record for you. It didn't necessarily grab me, um, but I don't dislike it at all, and I think it's got some good songs on it from what I can remember. But it's gonna. I'm gonna have to go a little bit more like you with Titus and because even though. I've at least heard of this band. I can't get real in depth on it and talk a lot about it. Um, but I do agree with you. They definitely get thrown in, whether fairly or unfairly, get thrown a lot with jam bands. Yeah, and a lot even songs that they have the uncanny knack of, of songs that I'm not even a fan of on some of their albums. When you hear them live, I love them how they I love how they play them live. A much better live band than they are a studio band. So, Chris, that's the last album I have scribbled down. Do you have any any others that you want to throw out before we call it a day? Well, I do want to name a few others just because I, I think that as we're doing favorite albums, I'm gonna, first of all, I'm going to give a couple of, uh, we don't have to talk a whole lot about these, but I just want to give a couple of shout-outs to albums that are, since I have named some that people are probably like, God, was this, will this guy, besides from Springsteen, will this guy ever pick an album that people know of? <laughs> um, now is the time, people. I'm going to give two right in a row here. U2 to Joshua Tree and The Cure Disintegration. Um, everybody knows Joshua Tree. They're actually out. Have they started that tour yet? If they haven't, they're just a few weeks out from doing okay. it. Okay. Yeah, they're supposed to, if you don't know, they're supposed to, they're doing a tour where they're they're playing the album in its entirety. I guess it would make, well, it didn't make the 30th, right? Because it didn't come out in 87. That is correct. Yeah, so it's a 30th reunion of it. Um this one, a lot of people go back and forth on, which, uh, well, some people, well, I shouldn't say back and forth, you're usually going to find people that are in one or two camps. Joshua Tree, a rock tune baby. Um, I'm in the Joshua Tree camp. I think this is the best record. I love Octune Baby. 
but I just love I love the purity of this one before it, they got all the you know different sounds that came in. Yeah, this song, album, man, um, with or without you, and um, still haven't found what I'm looking for, and uh, what the streets have no name. Those videos were all over the place when that album yes. came out. I mean, they were everywhere, and the album really made them one of the biggest bands in the world. And I fall in the Octung Baby camp uh, just by just by a nose over Joshua Tree, but it is a great album. Yeah, and then like I said, the Cure disintegration. This one, um, you know, to some people, it almost may seem a bit pretentious, just because the way the songs are just so drawn out, long. Um, but it's it's dark. It's uh, it's just dark. It's dreary. I almost think of this album. Like yesterday, probably would have been a perfect time to just sit in your house, turn out all the lights out, and just crank this one. You know, dreary. You know, just um. It's just a dreary song um, or dreary album, and a lot, a lot of great songs on it. Of course, the uh, the real, the real known ones would be, of course, love song would be love song and lullaby would be the two big ones. But pictures of you, fascination street. Um, I love a lot of these. I love a lot of their records, and uh, this is definitely. There's a couple other albums that are kind of similar to this one, like a maybe even. Pornography, which was an earlier album, they did one. I think it's called Blood Flowers. That they did probably over ten years later. But to me, this is it, it, it's weird. Like if, if I'm going to put in an album of theirs, this is this is probably not going to be the one I'm going to put in. If I'm put one in, on it any time, just because what I just named said about it being slow, dreary, almost a bit depressing, I'm usually going to go with the head on the door. But if I had to pick one, it's actually a better album. I'd probably go with this one. Yeah, I can't really speak on the Cure. My knowledge of them is basically the songs on the radio, but I know um, that they're another band that has kind of a broad appeal to a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I'm probably in the minority versus the majority on this one. Yeah, and and then I'm, I'll just name two more, and we'll wrap up. Another one is going to be one that I know a lot of people can talk about. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up. I'm gonna end this with the. Uh, I mean, and I'm gonna end this with some rock. Um, I'm gonna go with the Cult Electric. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are gonna take Sonic Temple. I love Sonic Temple. I like Electric better. Um, it's it's just I, I just love. I, it, it's funny. I've I've heard people a lot of times they they like all the rockers seem to really get into them once um you know once uh I, I just named now I'm just Sonic Temple once it came out. But this one is more of a, even more of a straight up rock record, really. I mean, this one, this one they brought in the master Rick Rubin, and um, you know, and they just when they originally recorded this, you can actually get the original version, which was going to be called Peace. You can buy that now, and it sounds cool and all. But um, Rick Rubin came in, and he basically he basically made uh, Billy Duffy put down the uh, Gretsch guitar, grab a Gibson Les Paul, and get a Marshall stack. And he just completely changed it, and this is a straight up rock record, just relentless beginning to end. Yeah, I love the album, and like you said, the I think it's called Electric Peace is the album with um, the original version to the song that of this album. A lot of uh-huh. different songs on it. It I like it as well, but this album is just so good. It's pretty much it's stripped down almost to sounding like an ACDC album as far as the playing. And this album is, I think, is their best. Sonic Temple being number two, a close number two, but I, I believe this is their best album. And Chris, you and I both saw them open for Guns N' Roses this summer. One of the best opening bands that I've ever seen. Oh yeah, and had you seen? You, that was your first time to see them, right? Correct. Yeah, this is one of those bands for for whatever reason. And, and I, lo- I mean, obviously, I'm naming their album, so I'm a big fan of the band. But they're I'm not going to put them in like a top five or top 10 band for me though. They're though they are pretty high. I mean, they are high up on that list, but I've seen this band probably almost as much as any band I've ever seen. I I think it's because they just, they tend to play Memphis a lot and I've seen them in other cities um, just because of timing, but they are a, I'm glad you got to see them and you're right. They were a phenomenal opener and um, 
and because they're just there. And what I liked about them, I mean, they're always great live. But when we saw them open, is is they didn't they had a new album out, and they played one song off the new one, and the other nine were most people in that crowd. If they didn't even own a cult record, would know those songs. Correct. And I thought that was great of them. I mean, they were definitely they were the opening band, and they knew it. And yeah, they're a good band. Um, check them out. Um, then the final one, I just gonna, I'm just going to name just because they do have their first record coming out in fr- on Friday, the first record in God, I think about 12 years. This is not going to fit along with most all the music we've talked about, but it's a band that definitely my, um, you know, a little bit more of my adolescent aggression is in this music. It's a band out of uh, out of New York, New York band, New York kind of a heart what would be called i guess they're kind of technically a crossover band but they started as hardcore kind of got a little bit more metal than to rock it's a band called life of agony and their first album is uh it's called river runs red and it's um it's a it's i mean it's a hardcore slash metal record so it's not going to be for everybody but i will tell you this is they're another one of those bands that are hugely hugely influential that a lot of people just do not know of i mean if you listen to a current band right now, Volbeat. If you listen to that guy singing vocally and everything, it sounds so much like Life of Agony, even though he tries to claim that he wasn't influenced by him. I just, I don't necessarily get it. But this band, this this album is, it's a little bit disturbing because it's, uh, it is a concept, basically. It's, uh, it's about suicide, but it's certainly not pro-suicide. Um, it's anti-suicide, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that it is kind of disturbing. Um, and if you do listen to it, you, you, I don't even need to get into it, but if you do listen to it, listen to the beginning of the end, you'll find out. But yes, Life of Agony, new album coming out on Friday. Yeah, yeah I've been meaning to check them out. I, I'm not real familiar with them, but I've you know, seen their name pop up plenty of times. And I would tell somebody that's just starting out if they if they maybe just wanted to try. I mean, this may not be the most. This is definitely not. That's what they may not. It's definitely not the most accessible. If you're looking for most accessible, go with an album of theirs. Well, actually, maybe Soul Search, Search and Sun, but the one that just a great rock record, little bit on the metal. I would say check out Ugly. Well, but that's what I have. Yeah, this was an easy episode to do. Um, like we said at the beginning. We didn't have any notes. We were just kind of going off the top of our head, more or less, talking about some of our favorite albums. And this is a, a segment we're probably going to do numerous times in the life of this podcast. Um, every two or three months, we'll just talk about some of our favorite albums because, I mean, Chris and I have a lot of those that would fit into that category. Who knows? Maybe one day we may do one where we say this is our definitive top five. But for now, these are just some albums that we like. Chris, do you have anything in, in parting? No, I'm just I'm just glad we don't have to do that top five right now because I don't know how I could do it. I really right. don't. That changes from day to day. Well, yeah, it really does. Well, everyone, we're going to wrap this episode up. Please follow us on iTunes and leave us a, a review and rate us. And follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed and Instagram at Digital Killed the Radio Star. We'll try to have our next one out next Sunday. I apologize for this one being a day late, but... We both had a long weekend and needed to uh, recover from that. So thank you again one more time for listening, and we will talk to you next week.